Aaron, do you believe in fate? You know, Tony, I kind of do. I do think that not so much predestined, but I do believe in fate. Yes. How about you? I think I do too. Um, especially after the, all the twists and turns that even my own journey has taken over the last uh, 30 years that sometimes the universe just wants you to be in a certain place at a certain time. And uh, we're going to be looking at two unbelievable coincidence. I don't know what you call them. Coincidences, fateful meetings, but this week in rock and roll history, two of the most important fateful events happened, didn't they? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I kind of think what you and me too, I mean, you know, we got together through through Bernard. So, I mean, and look how great we work together. We've become very, very good friends. And uh, so I do believe that uh, fate does exist. And I think that this is a good example. These two examples that we're going to talk about. Coincidence, fate, it had to happen. I don't know. But it's, uh, listen, thank goodness it did, right? Oh, you bet. And you know what? On that note, since you said thank goodness it did, let's hit the road. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So for the first of our big fateful coincidences, we've got to go back to Memphis and we have to go to July 5th, 1954. I'm sure lots of people can figure out where we're headed, but uh, can you punch that in July 5th, 1954? With pleasure. It's in. All right, here we go. Memphis. Be really refreshed. Work and play at your best. Enjoy the refreshingness. Pause for a Coke, ice cold Coca-Cola. You'll love that cold, crisp taste. When you're on the go, you get a lively lift with Coca-Cola soap. Be really refreshed. Pause for a Coke, ice cold Coca-Cola. Pause for a Coke. So here we are, July 5th, 1954, and we've been to this place before. We're at Sun uh, Studios. Sun Studios, Sun Studios, yeah. This is on my list for sure, but Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee, and inside is an incredibly important recording session going on, but it's not the recording session that is fateful. It's what happens during the break. So Elvis Presley, Scotty Moore, and Bill Black are in there, and Sam Phillips wanted to record them, and because Elvis had been into the studio a few times. And the recording session is going okay, but it's not going spectacularly. And they're doing a bunch of gospel stuff, and Sam just feels like something's missing. So they decide, you know, he takes a break, because that's what you do in studios when it's just not gelling for whatever reason. You know, take a break, guys. And during the break... Elvis Presley starts noodling around on his guitar uh, with a song by Arthur Crudup called That's All Right Mama. So big boy Arthur Crudup did this song in 1946. And all of a sudden, Scotty and Bill, in one of those amazing like things that 
almost sounds like it only could happen in a movie. You know, they jump in and they join in and all of a sudden they're jamming on That's All Right Mama and Phillips hears it and he's like, oh my goodness, this is it. And he, you know, gets the tape machine running and history's made. A lot of people feel like this is that final missing piece of the rock and roll puzzle, right? Oh, and the funny thing is when they're when they're doing it, they're not goofing around, but they speed up the song. They kind of... Elvis kind of takes it into his own direction, which is what Elvis was famous for. And um, they just, the, the other two, you know, Scotty Moore and, 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 and Bell Black, they just jump in, right in. And because it's very different from the original version, right? But you're right. This is the missing link that takes us from the early pre-rock and roll into rock. And and other thing, Tony, is this invents rockabilly. Oh, I mean, this is absolutely. Right here. Absolutely. So uh, Sam Phillips, he lets them repeat the jam a few times, and then he's like, okay, we're, we've got to get this down. But, you know, uh, in our notes, we were looking this week in history. I mean, it's also uh, when Phillips ran it over to the DJ, right? Like, the, they played it. Uh, he took the acetate recording of Elvis Presley singing That's All Right on July 8th, so a few days later. And to Memphis uh, radio station, it was WHBQ mm-hmm. and Dewey Phillips. There's another uh, name that's important in rock and roll history. He played the song just after 9.30 that evening, and I think he played it 14 times in two or three hours, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 allegedly the, the, the switchboard lights lit up, right? I mean, it's... But you know, even as a kid, the first time I ever heard this, it, it jars you. It's an amazing piece of work, right? It's, it stands up there. Paul McCartney has identified it as one of his defining moments hearing that song and has covered it himself, right? A, a la Elvis. But, I mean, Elvis does it the best. Well, and this is that breakthrough moment, that fateful, happy accident. And all of a sudden, this, you know, what was previously known as rhythm and blues, this, this black music can no longer be segregated from this moment forward. That is it. I mean, that wall is coming tumbling down whether people like it or not and uh, mm-hmm. it all it all happened here like i always i always view elvis as the missing piece of the puzzle that finally puts that music over the top you know not the first rock and roll song but just the importance of this for breaking down those walls breaking down those barriers and there's no way once you've opened that that you're not get, putting that back in the box and you've mentioned this before in the past, and I'm going to reiterate it. I'm going to steal from you. See, this happened in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. It didn't happen in New York, L.A., Chicago, Boston. It happened in Memphis, which was not known to be a watershed of, of, of innovation. But it, here it was, this little studio, and I mean it is little. I've never been there, but I've seen films of it. It's a tiny little studio, really, you know, the basic recording equipment you can find and this magic happens and as you say you know that gene is out of the bottle yeah you're not putting it back back in there's no way and uh you know the roots of this song that's all right mama i mean arthur big boy crudup did it uh in 1946 it was just called that's all right but that 1946 version was based on a traditional blues song by and we were talking you know before the road trip the names right like blind lemon jefferson in 1926 i love the names of those old blues guys too eh? i do too i just love it blind lemon jefferson um 
Yeah, and 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 so here's this: you, you think Blind Lemon Jefferson in 1926 thought that this would happen? No chance, no chance, no chance. But anyways, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can find the original version to put on our playlist. So we'll see. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, that's right. And folks, uh, just make sure every week that once you've listened to this episode, listen to Aaron's uh, Spotify playlist as well because they're fantastic. Now, oh, thanks. I'd like to find out about the charts in 54 because it was an interesting time. All kinds of music on there, I'm sure. Well, you know, again, Tony, it's a, it, here's the top five singles that were being, that were popular. They, according to Billboard charts, these are the top five sellers that week. Number five was Perry Como, Wanted. Number four, Frank, sorry, Frank Weir, The Wanderer. Really? The Wanderer? Um, not the cool Wanderer, but, you know, the yeah. cool Wanderer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Archie Blair with Hernando's Hideaway Four Aces now that's a cool song yeah Three, co- three Coins in the Fountain and it's, I'm going to be I'm going to be full disclosure here my mom's favorite record so I grew up with this 78 was Kitty Callan Little Things Mean a Lot I grew up with that song so I think of my mom every time I hear it because she loved that record oh wow well there you go but an interesting mix right you've got Mr. Relaxation on there at number five <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good sweater and all. <laughs> Every time we talk about Perry Como on this show, you know, two things pop into my head. My grandfather, because he was a big Perry Como fan, but also SCTV, right? And uh, <laughs> oh, it was it was it was the best. Their their version of Perry Como and Merv Griffin. I loved their Merv Griffin too, by the way. But yeah, uh, yeah. he is Mr. Relaxation. But you can see where you know they're pretty mellow songs. Can you imagine? You're in Memphis, you just hear Perry Como Wanted, and all of a sudden you hear That's All Right. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it must have just been like, what the hell is this, right? No, for so. sure. And I'm going to add a little disclosure here, or a, or a disclaimer, is because I know that we do have uh, an international listen- listenership, actually. Uh, a lot of people, we're always mentioning SCTV on this show, and they're probably like, oh, yeah. what, what is that? That is a Canadian sketch comedy series that ran... Uh, late 70s into the 80s and if you're of our generation i mean you just grew up watching that but the alumni that came out of uh sctv that television series i mean they they came from the the company the theater company first but you know uh, where do you start right john candy joe flaherty dave thomas um uh what Catherine o'hara andrea martin uh who's the eyebrow guy eugene eugene levy um Martin Short. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable list of people who came out of there. But what a great show! And they're, they're and, and and this just this the year, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. They they won what was it Emmys or Golden Globes for Schitt's Creek, right? Oh, well, that swept the Emmys. Yeah, I think it set a record. So, uh, <laughs> what a great show that is, too. By the way, it is a fantastic show. Uh, but so that's what we're talking about, folks, when we're talking about SCTV. And I I get the giggles every time I think about it. Me too. That. Me too. <laughs> Oh, the stories we could tell Tony about that show. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Schmengi Brothers. <laughs> so, uh, we're about to uh, talk about our the second great fateful incident, coincidence, whatever you want to call it. Um, but to do that, we're going to need to cross the pond, and uh, we're going to Liverpool, aren't we? And again, I'm sure people can guess... Uh, who we're going to be talking about, but let's uh, let's punch it in for July sixth, nineteen fifty-seven. All ready to go, my friend. All right. Well, let's uh, hop across the pond, and uh, I put premium gas in, so we should be good to go. 
<laughs> Two thumbs up. So, Tony, we're going to pull up here to the Walton Church Parish. It's a fate or fete. And fate's more appropriate, but actually they pronounce it fed. And this is an important day, July 6, 1957. This is an incredibly important day. It's one day before Rinko Star's birthday, too, but we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> but this day, a guy named Ivan Vaughn, who is a really good friend of John Lennon, is going to bring a schoolmate to meet him. And I guess you can pretty well predict who that is, and that's a guy named Paul McCartney. So John Lennon had a band called the Quarrymen, and they were performing on the back of a truck. I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it, but it's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic I, I, shots. Love, I love those pictures, yeah. I do too. You know, there's a member of the Quarrymen, uh, and I got to interview him, I, and, and he was just, Mr. Davis, he was just amazing guy to talk to. Anyway, as the Quarrymen are setting up and they're performing, Len, McCartney sees the show, and then he goes and meets John afterwards. And uh, the magic hits. You know, McCartney wants to impress John. First of all, first of all, McCartney notices that John, although he's a good musician, can't quite remember the words. And one of the funniest stories is when John's doing the song, Come Go With Me, and he can't remember the words for the life of him. So um, he hears John singing the lines like, Come Go With Me, Pretty Darling, down to the penitentiary. (laughs) 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 Sure, nowhere near the lyrics. He does 20 Flight Rock. McCartney plays John Lennon 20 Flight Rock on an upside-down guitar because he's left-handed. No one's restrung anything. He plays it. He knows all the words and then does Bebop Lula. Now, John's impressed with Bebop Lula because that's one of his all-time favorite songs. And he's more impressed that McCartney knows all the words. (laughs) So, uh, guess what? They strike up a friendship. But it's not instant. John's a bit wary of bringing Paul into the group. And the reason is he recognizes that Paul's a pretty damn fine musician. So anyways, this is the day that John meets Paul. And there's a, a, a some of the photos, right? They, they snapped a photo about 15 minutes before they met. Like, I love that stuff. That uh, Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? But but just so, you know, one of those those fateful events and that, that changed uh, history. And yeah, I'm sure John did recognize that uh, he was going to be dealing with a, a, a very creative type as well, right? And and uh, sometimes, you know, the, when you put two giants like that in the same room, it can be like oil and water or they can gel. You just never know how that's going to happen, right? Yeah, and you you, you got to have to, you, you know, you, my mind always goes to what if Ivan hadn't introduced them? You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's a scary thought, but... Would they have met anyways? I mean, the quarry men were making a bit of a name for themselves. McCartney was eager to be in a band. He wanted to play. McCartney loves to play. So, and they're young, right? I mean, McCartney at this time is what? He's 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 15. John is, is 17. I mean, they're kids. They're just kids. And uh, all of a sudden, the magic hits, right? Can you believe? Can you imagine a 15-year-old? Well, I don't, I'm just... Yeah, I'm always amazed. I mean, though, Paul McCartney's brother, Mike McCartney, took some great photos of John and Paul in their in the living room of Paul Dad's Paul's dad's house and all that. They're just great stuff, great stuff, right? Well, that's right. And so it, it didn't take long before they started songwriting together, did it? I mean, it was well, that's the thing, right? And do you know why they started doing that? You know the uh, reason? Well, other than they enjoyed each other's company, I'm not sure what was the. Well, because. 
all these, there was hundreds and hundreds of bands because of the, the skiffle craze and because of Elvis and everyone's doing the same songs. So John and Paul said, the only way we can have songs that no one else is doing is to write our own. Yeah. And that, so. I guess that makes sense. Right. And that was not typically normal at that point either for people to write and perform their own music. There was a, a pretty clear separation wasn't there between the songwriter and the performer. Well, I mean, that brings us back to the Brill building, but yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the famous story of when the Beatles get signed to uh, Parlophone and George Martin says, you know, he gives them a song called How Do You Do It? And the Beatles were like, uh, we're not doing this. <laughs> we're just not doing <laughs> They recorded a version of it. They were like, this is not us. Uh, George Martin says, okay, you give me a song as good as this. I can go number one and I'll let you record it. And they did Please Please Me, which made number one. And uh, the reverse is history. You're right, Tony. Though the, the, the whole songwriting thing, they were influenced by Buddy Holly because he was writing most of his own stuff, right? But um, yeah, Elvis didn't write stuff. Uh, wow. Eddie Cochran, all those people. So yeah, it was quite revolutionary. But man, to be at that simple church garden fete, yeah, and just kind of have your strawberries and you know strawberry shortcake and watch John and Paul sing. Yeah, wow. amazing. Wow, wow, amazing. wow. So what was on the charts, though, that week? Well, that's interesting, too, right? I, I, I was going to get the top five British singles to kind of say, well, here's what, you know. But, you know, the UK charts didn't start until 61. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> that was a, a non-doer. Non, non, uh, but in America, on the Billboard charts, we had Gail Storm. Love that name. Yes. Gail Storm with a song called Dark Moon. Uh, Elvis, Teddy Bear. Number three, the another, well, Elvis was a huge influence on the Beatles. So we were talking before about, you know, that's all right. Without that song, you know, John wouldn't have, so the, the dots connect. But the other group that really impressed the Beatles was the Everly Brothers. And they're at number three with Bye Bye Love. And then all of a sudden, number two, Jimmy Dorsey. <laughs> yeah. Like, where, why that? You know, that's a, that's a little bit of a bygone uh, era type of, yeah. <laughs> makes me laugh. So rare. And number one. Yes, your favorite. Boone. Your favorite. My favorite. <laughs> and before <laughs> we were going to do a show about Pat Boone one day, Pat Boone with, uh, have you ever heard him cover Ozzy Osbourne? Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Anyways, Pat Boone with Love Letters and Sand. And for those of you who love a good voice, check out Alison Moyer her cover of Love Letters in the Sand. It's it's Adele before there was Adele. Yeah, actually, that is a great cover. You're right. Oh, it, it, and it, don't you think that someone was listening to that and going, I can make a career with this? Yeah. Uh, I love Alison Moyet, by the way. So that's so that's the date, Tony. I mean, can you, it, it's, 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 again, the stars lined up and... You know, it's just incredible. And there's been there's been movies about this. There's books, and I've got a. I, I'm, I've, as I said, I've met a couple of the quarrymen, and because um, they're still around, they still perform without John, of course, and Paul. But uh, the quarrymen, and that John Lennon meeting Paul McCartney. There you go. Well, there. And let's uh, now we're going to take a trip ahead. Uh, this one is a little different. Uh, we're going to go to July sixth, two thousand and three, and we're going to be talking about the Dixie Chicks. So let's uh, punch in July 6, 2003. Here we go. All right, here we go. We're off. So here we are outside the Dallas American Airlines Center, and it's July 6, 2003. 
the Dixie Chicks, who up to this point were one of the biggest draws for arena concerts, are about to play a show, but they they weren't sure whether the show would go on because there was an anonymous threat uh, that Natalie Maines would be shot on the stage. And the Dixie Chicks decided to go on with the show anyway. But Aaron, why, I'll let you explain this, uh, why was Natalie Maines a target all of a sudden? Well, on March 10th, 2003, uh, they're in England and they're doing a show. And Natalie says, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We don't want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas, uh, which is where they're from. And boy, did that that was that was on par with John Lennon saying the Beatles are bigger than Jesus. Yes, like it just blew up. It certainly did. I mean, it it affected the sales of their next album. I mean, it was well, it was the same thing, right? Album burnings and and all that stuff going on and blacklisted um oh band off radio yes i mean it had a profound impact um on their career now did you see the the documentary about that shut up and sing yes yeah have you seen it i have and uh what a great title eh because that that's encapsulates it perfectly you know about how a lot of the public feels about musicians or athletes, you know, keep your opinions to yourself. Just do your job, right? That uh, up and sing, yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, but she, you know, uh, I think, of course, uh, they are on the right side of history. Now they just go by the chicks, not the Dixie Chicks. But um, man, they like blacklisted by thousands of country radio stations. Uh, death threats. Their their families were threatened. Not just them. I mean, they threatened their families. It was. It was. And this is this is also to do with the, the the Iranian war, right? They were protesting George Bush going into so not Iran, Iraq, going into Iraq, and you know it was crazy. They, 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 it was an off the cuff comment, really. And they needed police escorts to and from the show that you're talking about, directly to the airport. I mean, unfreaking believable, right? Yeah, and. She was pressured. Well, the same again, the the parallels to John Lennon, right? Uh, She was pressured into making an apology. So she did issue an apology saying her remark had been disrespectful. But much like Lennon later on, she rescinded that apology. uh, And she said, you know, Bush didn't deserve any respect for his actions. And uh, they stood firm and and it profoundly impacted them. But uh, they came through it and. What a what an experience! It never recovered, though. No, I mean in terms of sales and and um, but I just want to, you know, the other similarity to Lennon, the Beatles are doing a show in Dallas and they receive a death threat, and there's a film of the four of them on stage, and I guess someone in the audience throws a firecracker, and you can hear the pop, and all four of them look at each other like, "Are you shot? Who shot? Are you shot?" Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's kind of not funny, but funny. Um, you know, they, they and then they. Do you remember they put out that record? It was fantastic. Called "I'm Not Ready to Make Nice." Mm-hmm. It was fun. I, I, they just kind of they just kept. I, I look. I think people have a right to their own opinion. I I can like an artist or an athlete, an actor, and disagree with the opinion and still like their music. There's a lot of artists I like that I don't necessarily agree with their politics, but um, this just went way over the top. And 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 what made me laugh over this whole thing was. This is the Dixie Chicks we're talking about. We're not. 
<laughs> I'm talking about Zappa or, you know, some other controversy, you know, Eminem or. Well, that's right. You know, we're talking about the Dixie Chicks. Well, that's right. <laughs> who had a pretty, like, let's face it, a pretty clean image, right? A certain image that they were catering to. Of course. And, yeah. um, but, you know, I, I think uh, personally, I like when artists and athletes aren't afraid to take a stand. And I've always been a fan of that. I think, uh, you know, because you can use your popularity to try to affect change, right? Uh, I always bring it back to, I'm not a big basketball guy by any means, but I always bring it back to a guy like LeBron James, who Mm -hmm. takes tremendous amount of heat for expressing his opinions, right? But here's a guy who wants to see change happen and who's doing it for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I I'm behind Natalie Maines on this one, a hundred percent. I think she is going to be on the right side of history. Oh, she already is. I mean, she's, she's, you know, I mean, we, we know that the Iraq war was, well, where, where were the weapons of mass destruction? So they say, right. Um, <clears throat> so I'm with you and I've seen them twice in concert, but Andrew's a big, big Dixie chicks. Oh, now they're called the Chicks. I'm a big fan of them. So I've seen them twice in concert. Oh. They've been on a great show. Oh, I imagine really they show. do. Well, they're good musicians, you know. And uh, back in that, when that, when that new country was, was all the rage, I mean, I remember uh, listening to them on the radio and, and uh, being very impressed. But I'm like you. I think that if you're, it, it may not necessarily always change minds but what you do do as a celebrity is you shine a light on something that maybe isn't having a light shone on it right that's right and that's that could be just as good so sometimes you can have some an artist or an athlete say look this is what i'm standing up for and someone go i wasn't even aware this was going on so let me look into this and that's good too right well that's right and you know what aaron speaking of shining a light on something what would you say if we went back to the present and we shine a light on something that we've got planned for our Spotify radio show? We can do that, but I want to tell you one thing, though, which made me laugh is while this is while this controversy is going on, the number one single in the country charts. Oh yes, yes, please. No, I just I want to do this because this is important because it's not important, but it's it's interesting. The number one single in the country charts was a song by Toby Keith and Willie Nelson called "Beer for My Horses," which was pretty much american propaganda pro-war you know so i just thought that was quite funny that you're the dixie chicks not getting played anywhere but number one it's toby keith and willie no and i thought willie should have known better quite frankly that's just my opinion but yeah there you go. i wonder why he did that because willie's generally a pretty progressive guy in in terms of that he, stuff maybe he was stoned <laughs> could be could be Maybe. Anyways, let's have to share that with you. All right, let's go back to the the, the present and let's talk about our Spotify show. Yes. Okay, Let me punch in the sounds dates. good. Well, here we are back in 2021. And uh, as always, Aaron, that was a fabulous uh, road trip. In fact, in, in terms of historical significance, maybe this was my favorite road trip so far. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to concur with you on that. It was a great trip and it was one of my favorites too. just just hitting those those incredible moments in history that changed the world changed the world well and you know what i'm thinking that like what else can you talk about this week you know (laughs) when you've got those two fateful events going on but uh aaron uh let's talk about our spotify radio show because we've got some exciting things happening there so we just uh we just released on canada day a profile of 
Joni Mitchell, one of our favorite Canadian artists, because it's the 50th anniversary of Blue. But we uh, didn't play the whole album. What did we do? Well, we thought we'd take a, uh, do something different here, Tony. We, You know, the old days, when you and I were young, for you it was cassettes, for me it was albums, but there was side one, side two. So we did side one of Blue to kind of just hear it, talk a bit about each of the songs. And there's a special bonus at the end, which I'm going to leave as a surprise for people to kind of keep listening because it's another Canadian, but uh, just see how it's connected. But yeah, we, we listened to side one of Blue. Yes, and uh, what I'll do is we'll put uh, a link to the Spotify show in our show notes for this show. And uh, if you're a premium subscriber, then you can hear the episode and the songs, which is kind of fun. And so it's very much like uh, radio. It is like radio. It's, it's, it's great to find the songs, eh, Tony? Oh, it's fantastic. And then on July 7th, uh, because it's Ringo's birthday, we are going to uh, do an episode called Peace and Love, and we'll have a Ringo Star playlist. And then the episode after that the uh, will be side two of Blue. So I can't wait. I'm going to tell you something. Every year on Ringo's birthday, I'm usually at work. And up to the last year, I was always in my office. And I put an email out. And I tell people, because Ringo wants everyone to say peace and love at 12 o'clock. Wherever you are at 12 o'clock, your time, peace and love, peace and love. So I send an email out. And I always get a, gr- a group, a crowd of people in my office. And we just go, peace and love, peace and love. And, you know, it's just sending out good vibes to the universe. What's wrong with that, right? Oh, there's absolutely. I think it's a great thing to do. And yeah. uh, I'll be doing it as well. I, uh, I we should get together on Zoom and do it. You know what? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's get together in the Wayback Music Machine and do it. I'm with you. I'm with you, for sure. I'm in. Well, fantastic road trip, my friend. But oh, it was great. It was great. Like all good, good. driving, Tony. Well, awesome driving, man. Yeah, I've been practicing. You know, the driving the van's a little different, but uh, yeah, but you you navigated those roads in Liverpool like a pro, man. Oh, <laughs> getting better <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, like all good things, it's got to come to an end. So I uh, will drop you off here, and we'll see you soon. All right. Take good care music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denee. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.